0: Um, hi, I'm Karen Yang it's Karen i Yang trying to slow down. Um, and I'm your guest preacher for today. Thank you so much for welcoming me, and thank you, Tom, for reading the readings. I'm really glad you had fun with it, Tom, because uh, when I was reading it, I don't know, I had some mixed feelings. Uh, The way I know Diane Keniston is uh, first through Dr. Ployd. I went to Eden Seminary, as you just heard. And uh, I was the church history TA for several years, which is really funny since I'm really terrible with dates. (laughs) But there's something about history that's really helpful. Because when you read that something has happened in the past, in some ways it can be comforting, right? That people have gone through something similar, that maybe they have some wisdom to share with us. Part of the reason why we find these texts so sacred is that they resonate today. And part of the reasons why I have such mixed feelings is that they're resonant today. Um, Why, after all these years, are we still wrestling with what makes for a good government? What kind of leaders can we trust? How do we treat one another? And so we're here, gathered in a community to figure it out on a regular basis. So I invite you to join me on this journey uh, where I'll weave through time and space and I hope you have fun with it. (laughs) So they say, whether they're the Israelite elders or people today, a great nation is the key to protection. Our nation should be like other nations, if not better. And when we have a ruler to govern us and go out before us and fight our battles... We and our loved ones will be safe and well. All we have to do is sing the right songs, salute the right people, and comply with the right laws, and God will smile upon us, and everything will be all right. This is worth the cost, if we think about the cost. Are you convinced? I see John laughing in the front row. Are you convinced, John? The author of 1 Samuel 8 was a deported Judean. And when you're deported, your stories might be a bit different about the way things should be. And he thought so poorly about monarchies that he inserted a whole story warning against them. He wrote during the Babylonian exile, when the Babylonians gained power after overthrowing the Assyrians, and then started mass deportations of people from the kingdom of Judah for protesting through tax resistance. Many of those who were deported never came back, displaced forever, missing or dead. And during these deportations, as the city of Jerusalem and its temple lay demolished by the Babylonians in 589 B.C., Judeans were debating whether to side with the Babylonians or the Egyptians. In other words, which would be the strongest empire in the end? Which empire should one live under to have the best protection? Never mind that empires can sometimes be cruel, can often be cruel. Fast forward to the Roman Empire, and for a writer known as Luke... The destruction of Jerusalem and its temple by the Romans in 70 CE is just as devastating as it was during the Babylonian exile. So-called Luke, who has never met Jesus or his disciples, responds by using his Greek education to write a new story, an origin myth about Jesus. On the one hand, he's trying to help the Jesus movement grow. He wants to welcome Jews and non-Jews, Romans and non-Romans. Everyone can be a part of this movement. It's fine. Roman Empire, we're not some weird, apocalyptic Jewish sect that thinks the world is about to end and things are going to change. No, it's fine. So he writes a story where Jesus' mother, Mary, sings a song that sounds a lot like the prayer that Hannah the prophet Samuel's mother, prays in 1 Samuel 2. Only Mary's song has a lot fewer references to war and overcoming enemies. They're still very similar. Hannah says, Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry are fat with spoil. And Mary replies, God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Hannah says, God also exalts... God raises up the poor from the dust. God lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And Mary replies, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. In the connected stories of Hannah and Mary, they pray over their sons Samuel and Jesus with promises of reparations of making things right, of justice and liberation. Fast forward to the US American empire, if you call it that, and a St. Louis-based artist named Damon Davis has just created Darker Gods, the story of 12 deities that rule over a parallel universe. He's a post-disciplinary artist. He weaves between visual art and music, and sound, and video, and sculpture, and more. It's a beautiful art installation at the Luminary, and I highly recommend it. And as part of this installation that also has a whole music album and a bunch of myths about how we might imagine darker gods, this is the story of Andre the Tender, by Damon Davis. The god of vulnerability and masculinity, Andre the Tender, is the guardian of the weak and powerful. He is the embodiment of strength inside of softness. He's called a tricker by his siblings for this misleading quality. He is our god of love and mercy. The story of Andre is one of quiet solitude. He was teased by the other gods, But for his quiet, meek demeanor, he was the largest of them all. Those that inhabit his realm are giants in comparison. One day in the garden, an angry quarrel broke out between his siblings, each professing that they were the strongest of all gods, each god using their power to the fullest to display their might. When the Megadonna and Papa Roscoe challenged their children to a wager, They asked, which of you, in all your power, can be the mightiest without harming another? The gods sat and thought, hmm. And they were all silent. It began to rain. Then Andre rose. He grew large as giants do, and covered his brothers and sister, making his very body the house that sheltered them. His tenderness shielded them all from danger. And that day, Andre won the wager, set forth by his parents. What a beautiful vision of what power can look like from a black artist Exploring the myths that we have around blackness and how they might be constructed differently to impact our imaginations. When truths are unbearable, our myths break in. They allow us to move beyond what is to what could be. In Between Empire, the author of 1 Samuel 8 calls us to move past the myth of the great nation and into a society that's more spiritually integrated where religious leaders can check the power of political leaders. Under empire, the writer known as Luke suggests that we might imagine a more equitable and just society as we await a revolution of power. And in an imagined post-empire, artist Damon Davis invites us into a completely different universe. The realm of the darker gods and the garden of low hanging heavens, where tenderness is the key to might, power, and protection. It seems in this world so impossible, but maybe it's not. Because seemingly distant, these myth makers are bonded by the thread of imagination that connects pretend with possibility, with practice. The story of empire says that our kings and nations are gods, and the most loyal subjects are the most protected and fortunate. But our mythmakers, fable writers, and storytellers suggest that creativity is a spark of the divine and that sanctuary and blessing might be found in a universe beyond. Perhaps, perhaps we might arrive if we act as if we're already living there, will you be enchanted? Amen.